everyone, welcome to Beauties and Headcanons, where we're nerdy, and uh, let's be serious, you probably are too. I'm Lindsay, I'm here with Tegan, and Jason, you Hello. guys know him, I'm engaged to him or something, and we're here to talk nerdy to you. I'm really excited about this episode, as if you hadn't noticed. Uh, the big issue here is Dune came out like a month ago, Ooh. and we need to talk about it. We've been needing to talk about it for an entire month. Uh, I believe Jason and I went and saw it. The day after or a couple days after it came out, and I convinced, well, she didn't need a whole lot of convincing, did you, Tegan? <laughs> she didn't need a whole lot of convincing, but Tegan also saw it very recently, so we get to talk about it, and I am so excited um, to also have Jason here to talk about it, because uh, three geeks is better than two. Always. And, uh, <laughs> That's what we're going to do today. Um, do we have a, a gaming corner this morning? Uh, we don't, um, simply because I, you know, wanted to make sure we had plenty of time to talk about this. Obviously, there's like a lot, there's a lot of media covering Dune, and so I know we wanted to cover a lot of ground, so I'm like, ah, I'll just, I'll leave off gaming corner this week. Um, obviously, you know, if y'all haven't seen Dune, if y'all aren't familiar, but y'all are wanting to get into it, and you don't want spoilers, uh, go ahead and... X out of this episode right now because we are going to be talking about details of Dune. So this is this is your warning. Exactly. This is not a spoiler-free episode. <laughs> also, I want to apologize very briefly. I believe I just used the wrong pronoun for Tegan uh, briefly. So that doesn't happen all that often. And when I do do it, I don't do it out of disrespect, <laughs> uh, just so everyone knows. And um, all right, so... Uh, yeah, what are we going to talk about? So, <laughs> Where do we start with? <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I've I've never seen or read anything of Dune. I'm so I'm very very new to this whole like fandom. I the, like the literally the only thing I knew about it was the Spice Must Flow, and that's only because you know it's circling in certain geek groups. You know, you kind of pick up lingo from fandoms that mm -hmm. you aren't even in. You know, it just it's natural. Yep. Um. So that was pretty much like the only thing that I really knew about it. So I went in to watch. I initially watched the 2021 movie that was just released. I watched that first, and then just because I wanted a little bit of a different perspective, I was curious, like how different the story might be and i watched the 84 version i didn't get a chance to do the miniseries because i couldn't find it in time um but uh i gotta say like this was a very interesting experience to go into and watch it was pretty different than anything else i think i've really seen and for transparency's sake here mm -hmm. i didn't know anything about dune on any planet uh this one uh, until very recently i um was convinced I didn't want anything to do with it until I was having trouble finding a book to read and um, uh, Jason and I live together and he has like all five of the books uh, standing on uh, a part of the room that I walk past every single day <laughs> and so um, and they were beautiful like non-bound binder broken beautiful versions um, new not not no molested by yours truly <laughs> and now um the first book is um definitely been to the the bathtub with me um the <laughs> lunchroom 
I believe I took it on vacation once or twice. Uh, it it has it's well traveled now, and whereas it used to be a beautiful, pristine, brand new book, now it's um, well traveled. But I did finish it um, recently uh, before we went and saw the movie, and we saw the 2021 movie twice now, um, and we also watched the 1984 movie before we saw the 2021 movie. Um, so and we started a, a little bit of the mini series couldn't finish it. I, I can handle cheesier, nerdy stuff on my own better than we can. I think we got through like an hour an hour or so mm-hmm. of it. It didn't really work out too great. And I, I wasn't, time. yeah, it didn't age great. It was, it was pretty rough. But um, I'm pretty sure Jason's read the books maybe more than once. Um, I've pretty much read, for transparency's sake, I've read everything. I've read uh, <laughs> Frank Herbert's Six. I've read everything by Kevin Anderson and Frank's son, Brian. Uh, with the exception of, I think, the newest two that have released in the last year and a half. I'm totally caught up on all prequels, all sequels, everything. Yeah. So, so... I'm, I'm more of the Dune... Yeah, I'm more involved in the Dune universe, which is why I suggested that to Lindsay, because they're so good. <laughs> well, which is funny, because Tegan was so worried about not knowing the lore and stuff, and yeah. you're, you're so into the lore. You, you love lore of everything, so... <laughs> It was it was fun to be like you know what I'm gonna do something more than Jigen does for this it's gonna be great. Yeah, I, I'm a lore hound. You know, I, I like I, I love worlds with vast amounts of lore, but there is still always that kind of level of intimidation walking into something that always already has like something really well established and has lots of history behind it. So it's like yeah, uh, you know. But I, I took the step and I don't regret it. So. <laughs> about the um, stark differences between 1984 and 2021. Yeah. Now, we um, all have that like under our belts now. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, my reasoning initially for watching the 84 after I watched the 21 version um, was because, purely because I, I still knew like nothing more than what I had just seen, like story-wise and anything like that. Like I, I looked up some of the wikis and I read like some summaries and stuff, but it's different getting to see it and read it in its entirety you know wikis don't always give you a real feel for things so i i wanted to watch it just because i was curious how different like they might handle the story and i was honestly struck more by how different the storytelling was with Mm -hmm. 84 compared to 21 because the 2021 version was a lot more subtle slower world building and slower paced um it was you know so i was gonna say as someone who's read has read the novels i think the 84 because i read the first novel first before i ever saw 84 and then i i watched 84 and then the miniseries then obviously the new one the 84 movie to me is presented to you in a way like you've already you've already read the book Mm -hmm. where the 21 the new one is presented like you know nothing Let's introduce everything to you in a in a way because yeah. in the novel and with eighty four, you meet the emperor right away. You meet a number of characters. You meet Irulan. Irulan is narrating the whole book and the eighty four mm-hmm. movie. In the new movie, we haven't met the emperor or Irulan. Which, right. if you're going to be accurate to the novel, that technically they missed. But I like this better for storytelling because they're. It's almost like bosses in a video game. They're mm-hmm. giving you mini bosses and they're kind of working up to the big reveal of. Who's going to be the Emperor? Who's going to be Alia? Who's going to be Irulan? And I, I think that's kind of cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's... Oh, yeah, there's this, that's, there's this big, like, uh, what's what's the word? Like, um, looming, 
looming dread yeah. of the Emperor. Mm-hmm. Where we don't know who it is, and we know that it's... Uh, the, the Baron, though, is scary enough as oh, yeah. in, in the 2021. Um, I honestly found him much more intimidating in the 21 version than the 84 version. And I, I honestly enjoyed his characterization much more. Um, I already know, like, obviously in the 84 version, they... Uh, kind of leaned a lot more into the predatory gay territory, and it's like, mm, if your if your villains comply with the Hayes Code, that's not great, <laughs> you know. Obviously, that has not aged well at all. So, I'll tell you from the novels, though that that was actually the way the Vladimir Harkonnen was actually was actually written as. Oh yeah. As, I don't know if it was meant to be a pedophile or if he was meant to just have a thing for young boys. They never really mm-hmm. specified if they were underage or not. But the Baron always had a thing for young boys. And without getting too much in, if we don't want spoilers of prequel novels and whatever, <laughs> part of that is because of what was done to him. Mm-hmm. Because he's fat now and he wasn't. And I oh, yeah. I honestly think the character is that he kind of misses and regrets being young. But even in the prequel novels there... When he was young and in good shape, he still had a thing for... He was gay. He was always gay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like... Not that villains can't be gay, but it's like when you put... When you portray a gay villain in that way, it's like... "Mm, That's not great. (laughs) Like, like there are ways to do gay villains, and it's not that. (laughs) Well, it's it's like saying it's like a villain... This is their sexual orientation before they be... Or a villain. Or they were kind of enrapturing it with the villainous nature and it kind yeah. of, it comes off a different way. I know what you're saying. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely a fine line, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, a gay person can't be a villain or they can't do bad things, but it's just like the way it's portrayed and fed into. So it's like, uh, yeah, definitely part of the 84 version that just did, it, it didn't age well. As, you know, probably a lot of things from the 80s don't really age well once you go back and watch them. And it's like, oh yeah, that, that, uh, Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I certainly haven't aged well since the 80s. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> I think that Sting aged well, though. Don't you guys think Sting aged yeah. well? And, I don't know. And Patrick Stewart, honestly. And Patrick Stewart, absolutely. He, he aged very well as well. Well, yeah. Patrick, Patrick Stewart, I'll say this. I, I think he found out the secret to being a guy and aging well is to not have hair. Yeah, that when is true. a shaved head... It's hard to judge, you know, if you're gray, you have the touch of gray or full color or whatever. It's ageless because you can't tell because you can't base it off that. Like, Just 87 in- Next Gen Picard obviously looks a little different than the Picard series right now. He's clearly got a few more wrinkles on his face, but he's still aging pretty well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just embrace the baldness, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so we do need to talk a little bit about the storytelling, uh, the differences between yes. um, uh, 21 and 1984. Um, it's kind of funny because every time we're going to start like talking about the different years, it's like, now and 1984 <laughs> was a year before I was born. So <laughs> the, um, the difference between those those years, it has me kind of like in the feels. Yeah, um, yeah. A whole, a whole, you know, 35 years or something. It's pretty stark for me. Mm-hmm. Um I want so we we talked real briefly about it kind of like shoving the storyline down your throat. Mm-hmm. Um, there was so much uh, of the yes in nineteen in, in eighty four. So like just the way that they um, made everything a voiceover so that mm-hmm. everything was told to us. 
is very different than the 21 um, movie I felt. I I I loved the 21 version, um, even without uh, having read the book. I think I would have enjoyed it just as much more. Um, and I also wanted to say, I, I know this is a tangent, but there's actually six books. So one of them I already have on my nightstand so that I can read it. Um, so there's there's six books on on our bookcase, not five. Um, just to you know let everyone know there's there are six books that would be read i suppose but the the difference in the storytelling and like the the killing word in 1984 oh, we were talking oh. real briefly while we were getting ready to read yeah <laughs> about how that's not really a thing in the books uh i mean the idea of like the storyline being told through like the benny Gesserit whispery voice thing i think they did that in the 21 movie a few times and i was like Okay, but it wasn't overly empowering, overly yeah. shoving it yeah. into your thoughts like it was in the 1984. Yeah, movie. where it was everywhere. Yeah. Right. Like the 84, and there's two points to that I'll say, is that the, the whispering thing in 84, I think is obnoxious because it isn't just a soft, an actor with a soft voice, you know, a quiet, soft-spoken voice. For voiceover work because obviously they're not on set they're doing voiceover work for any sort of narration or inner monologue or anything like that but in 84 it felt like you could imagine Kyle MacLachlan sitting there in a studio hunched over like Gollum like whispering <laughs> like trying to whisper yeah like, you don't need to whisper when you're in the studio they can they can take the mixing board and they can move the levels down just a little bit if you're too loud like just just perform they can fix everything and post later it's cool yeah like, yeah Lindsay and I, when we were watching 84 and i had seen 84 at that point and i had read all the novels at that point like a month or two back and we were like looking at each other and i hadn't remembered that, that little detail and she's like why are they whispering like the narration it's like they're whispering and it really takes you out of the moment mm -hmm. in 84. i i personally compared to the 21 i like like you're saying how they're not shoving it down your throat i it's kind of cool because it also leaves it open to interpretation in a little way. Mm -hmm. Like, instead of saying, this is Paul's dream, like, you know, okay, this is Paul's dream because it's not actually happening. Mm -hmm. But to see why it happens or what he's seeing, you kind of, kind of leaves it up to your own interpretation. And I think that's a lot more fun. Like, oh, yeah. Like, overall, to me, I will just say, compared to all of the iterations that I've seen, um, including the miniseries, it feels to me like the 2021 Dune feels like a love letter to Frank Herbert and the Dune universe. Like, you can tell Denis Villeneuve is a fan. It, you can feel the love throughout the entire movie in the beauty of the storytelling, and he's just wanting to soak up every little detail of, like, good stuff, and it's it's so fun to watch. Oh, yeah. I, I would say definitely, like, the 21 version really leans into, like, filmmaking as an artwork with the cinematography, the score, yes. everything like that. Like, it all feeds off of one another to tell the story rather than depending simply on the actor, what the actors are saying and doing in a scene. It like, uses everything. And I, I, I just really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, and it's not like an action movie, like, like I love Bond movies, but it's not like a Bond movie where it's like, sometimes the context between scenes, the quiet moments, are just taking up space until you get to the next action scene. At least the classic Bond. Maybe the newer stuff isn't quite like that, but there are some movies where it's like, the action is there just as a holdover to the quiet stuff, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. This felt like every scene was meant to be there, and every scene was meant to be, it had a purpose of something. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. 
Um, I, I will say. It's so exciting, too. It's going to be hard. Uh, We're all excited here. We're all excited. <laughs> so I, I do want to talk about the, the music because every time I watched a trailer, I was like, I don't know how this music is going to really work. I don't know how I feel about this. I'm not really 100% sure this is going to be a thing. They're leaning heavily on the African and the tribal yeah, kind but, of mm-hmm. feel. But after we watched it for the second time in the theaters, I had this like overwhelming sense of like how perfect the music was. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like there was just enough like sensationalism to it um, that really just kind of like... Uh, and even when the themes were underlying or where they came back, there have been moments where I felt like a theme was was what we were supposed to be listening to but whenever those um tones were happening or or that was happening it felt like it fit um so i was really impressed with how the soundtrack worked and on that note too i remember i think it was after the first time we saw it maybe maybe it was the second time i I told Lindsay that something i had read uh hans zimmer (gasps) was the composer for uh 2021 dune and he's always been he's always worked with christopher nolan um and He's apparently such a, Dune, a fan of the Dune novels himself that when Christopher Nolan was working on the movie Tenet, he, Hans Zimmer said, no, no, this is Dune. I am working on this one with you or I'm working on Dune, and he chose Dune <laughs> for his longtime collaborator. And you can tell he loves the movie, too, because oh, yeah. the music fits so beautifully. Yeah, and, and it feels very distinct. Like, you know, you watch some fantasy movies, and there's almost like a generic fantasy soundtrack to it. You know, there's nothing that really feels very distinctly that, but the soundtrack for Dune, it is is very distinct, and you can tell it is different, and it fits. It fits. Well, and that's that's actually my thought, too, and you started talking, I was thinking, it fits. (laughs) Yeah. Like like, like you say, you have generic fantasy, you have generic sci-fi or something like that. Like, I love Star Wars. Star Wars is my number one fandom till the end of the universe, but... Star Wars was very much like that, the original like that, where it was big orchestra during fights, action scenes, and all that, where before that was simpler stuff or, or doing different things. And because of the popularity of Star Wars, I think a lot of movies kind of picked up on that, and it's almost become a trope to have, like, big, brassy orchestra mm-hmm. for, like, fight scenes and sci-fi. And that was one thing that I was blown away with with the 2004 Battlestar Galactica, was that they did something different. It wasn't just the orchestra. It was like Japanese mm-hmm. taiko drums. And let's do something different. Like you have a composer that's not just, okay, you're a technically proficient composer. You can write beautiful music, but yeah. you have to know your audience. And if mm-hmm. you get the vibe of something, for Hans Zimmer to come in on Dune and realize, okay, it's desert. Okay, yes, it's this whole other universe. It's this whole other world set in the future. It's not Earth. It's not Mars. It's not anything in our solar system. But to still come in with these feelings of like desert as we know them now it you you hear that first chanting like the woman you hear chanting throughout the movie it instantly grounds you you feel like oh i'm in like ancient arabia or ancient persia or egypt and you feel like you're a bedouin in the desert it's like oh this is really cool yeah it fits it doesn't take you out of the moment but it's just enough to be like okay this is really good yeah and i mean that's really appropriate because frank herbert drew from a lot of these middle eastern and north african cultures and influences in order to write his novel so i mean if anything you know it's really just going back to the source and drawing from that okay um the difference between the barons we already talked about that yes oh liette kynes yes yes i i know that they gender swapped liette because um I believe in the original, it was a guy 
or in the books it was a guy, and then yep. in this movie now it's a woman. I think it fits. Yeah, I think it fits. And <laughs> it's it's one of those it's one of those characters that when you read the novel, they get into the character, but it's very much a surface character. Like Liet Kynes is there to, well, I guess the the what what do they call it? The bringer of the change or the, the judge of the change? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of it kind of the character kind of fits the, the actor in this case because the character it was kind of a surface character it was like there was some depth there but you didn't get into their own thoughts and, and you know mm-hmm. help him and her you didn't get into that kind of stuff so it really doesn't matter the gender I, I thought it fit really well I actually really liked Liet Kynes as someone who's not always a purist but I really do dig the source material I love Frank's novels I was when I first, remember when I first read about it two three years ago. I'm like, why would they change it to a woman, whatever? But she did fantastic. Mm-hmm. I loved the character. Oh yeah, um, and I, I I really did enjoy most of the casting. Although I have to say, like you know, when obviously going back to watch the '84 compared to '21, the '84 version is so white, just so yes. white. There there is no yeah. diversity whatsoever which i mean you can kind of expect from 1984 but for sure yeah but I, I did appreciate that they at least took a step although i was slightly disappointed that they they only took a step like i, I felt like they could have gone further um because like i i was obviously like reading up on some articles and stuff about it because you know don't know really anything about this um and i found an article that was talking about potential like cultural appropriation or like how frank herbert like was writing his uh was writing his novels and how he was drawing from these inspirations and like the article itself it doesn't lean into saying that um frank herbert was culturally appropriating but that did say that uh well actually i'll just quote the paragraph um the the article is called Dune, Cultural Appropriation, How Frank Herbert Decentralized Western Science Fiction, or Western SF. Um, and there was uh, a portion of the article I just want to quote. Uh, it says, it's truly, utterly bizarre that aside from the Persian-American David Dashtel, Dasmalkian, I, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right, um, who plays Peter DeVries, who is, of course, a villain, not a single one of the lead cast from Villeneuve's version is of MENA, or Middle Eastern North African descent, or heritage, or in Lynch's 1984 film either. Whilst there is an increasing number of ethnically ambiguous cast members, olive-skinned, which uh, from what I read, a lot of the characters in the book are described as olive-skinned. So anyway, going back to there, uh, whilst there is an increasing number of ethnically ambiguous cast members, olive-skinned like Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Zendaya, and Javier Bardem, uh, Liet Kynes has been gender-flipped and played by Sharon Duncan Brewster, whereas in the books, uh, Kynes is described as mixed race, half Fremen, half alt- off-worlder. Uh, it says, in fact, just a little research and you'll find many of the supporting Fremen actors are of African descent, which is a step in the right direction, but only a step. The lead cast is still representative of what Hollywood thinks is palatable. These actors are already box office hits individually and Hollywood is comfortable letting them take center stage behind its Western lens. After all, if no one knows where they're from exactly, it's easier for them to sell. Ambiguity can act as a shade to hide behind. So, like... Obviously, like comparing the two, like you can see there is a good progression in diversity of casting. Um, there just needs to be more because I'm looking at the 21 version and this whole savior messiah is this still this little white boy and, and no shade against Timothy yeah. Chalamet. Uh, I, I, I don't know much about his work, but I'm he seems like a lovely young man, but 
did, did we have to have a whiteboard? Right, right. Here's the thing. The, the the planets that they come from, like the main characters, like the Atreides family, yeah. mm-hmm. is is they're not going to have the same skin color. Like yeah, adapted uh, like evolution wise, they just would be well, it's lighter. A, it's a water planet. It's an overcast. It's basically if you took London and Portland and made them a planet. Right, like overcast rain and, and else, trees and. Well, I mean, his father is still olive skinned at least, so it's like. It's not really too much yeah. of a stretch, I don't think. You know, I mean... And then the Harkonnens. Oh, my God. The Harkonnens don't even see the sun anymore. So <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying about them. I'm just saying, like, you know, especially in the lead cast, I, I would have liked to see more diversity there. Whereas, you know, it is definitely a good step to have some of these actors like Oscar Isaac and Javier Bardem and Zendaya in these leading roles. We just need more. Because Frank Herbert has drawn from these Mina sources... And yet they're not really involving Mina actors. And that's where you get an erasure. And that's not good, you know? So, again, it's a good step. It's just we needed to go a little bit further, you know? Well, and that's that's beautiful. I'm I'm all for the inclusivity. If you have have someone of a certain descent that was, you know, if their people were an inspiration of Frank Herbert and they have actors who could play them, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I will say, as, as someone who is a fan of the universe in general and who knows these characters very well, going for actors who fit the character instead of fitting a skin color to me was almost more important. Because everything, everything in there, every character to me felt exactly like I felt in the novel. Yeah. I was oh, able yeah. to connect with them as the characters I know more so. I mean, yeah, if they had been all descended from these people that would have been fantastic but the characters and like you say if you're going by the filmmaking and the movie making and the storytelling getting the casting right you know to to be to be inclusive like that on, on some level you'd almost have to say we're going to animate it all we're going to get them the proper skin colors that you really want to to be accurate and we're just going to get people who fit the voices at, at some point if you want to do that you're to be able to get someone who can act and be a character and have chemistry with the characters we're supposed to interact with. That's a whole lot of stuff going on. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, it's like there are Mina actors out there. They just aren't given these opportunities to act and to be in these roles. Like, you know, I know there's all this talk of, oh, well, you know, especially when there's casting for trans actors or, or trans characters or gay characters or things like that. They're like, oh, well, there just aren't any. No, there absolutely are trans actors. There are gay actors out there. There are, there are Mina actors out there. They are there, but they aren't given the chances. And that's, again, part of the whole point of Hollywood being this whole profit machine that is just solely focused on profit and you know obviously you know you still get some good works of art and there are still some good things coming of it I'm not saying it's not but you know when there's not as much opportunity then obviously we don't know that you know there, there could have been actors who could even have done that for you even more so and still been of Mina descent it Again, we just don't know because they're not given that um, that opportunity. Um, I will say, though, I love the idea of animation, though. I, I am always absolutely 100% always going to push. Like, animation is such a good storytelling medium that I feel like people really kind of dismiss a lot of the time. But mm-hmm. absolutely, like, this would really be some epic animation. Well, I've said for years... There's so many animators out there, it's a small aside here, but um, there's so many animators out there who do action and they do so much stuff that's 
always dialogue, there's always action, always music. In my opinion, because of the beauty of the show and the beauty of Dune, the, how cinematic and sweeping, and mm -hmm. it could almost be a silent film with a yeah. little bit of dialogue here and there. The only animator I can think of who would do it perfectly is Gendy Tartakovsky, especially oh, yes. after that fifth mm -hmm. season of Samurai Jack. Yes, absolutely. I think absolutely. he would do amazingly. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. That He's done some amazing, amazing work. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I will say, like, just a very short thing. Um, I, I have like I had like two criticisms of the twenty one dude that the the casting was the one, um, and my second one was, I felt like this story, like wasn't best suited for a feature length film. I feel like going for a miniseries would have been better for the story, just because. Obviously, like in the 84 movie, you get like a whole lot more. And so the story gets super, super rushed. Um, right. But even in the 21 movie, even though they did go at a slower pace, I still felt it was a little bit rushed. And I, I feel like a miniseries would have given it the time to really develop a little bit more organically. And, you know, so especially with like some of the characters die, like their deaths would have had more of an emotional impact, especially for someone like me coming in, like knowing really nothing about it, you know, like, cause you know, obviously I watch Duke Leto die. I watch, you know, Duncan Idaho die. And obviously though, I, I know that it's sad and I know that I should feel sad, but I don't like I, because I don't yeah, feel that emotional that. connection. And it's, yeah. you know, I, I have to go back to, again to Mass Effect, where in Mass Effect 2, you meet and you play along with a companion named Bord Solis. And then in 3, he sacrifices himself. And that sacrifice is a huge emotional beat of Mass Effect 3. It's a huge part. I, I don't know a Mass Effect fan that you could look at and say priority to Chanka and they won't at least get misty eyed or flip you off because that is... <laughs> That is an amazing bit of storytelling. And I feel like if it, if Dune was given the space to really develop a little bit more organically so that we can see not only the characters, but their relationships with each other, then those deaths would have been a little bit more meaningful and had a little bit more emotional impact. So, yeah. <laughs> pretty cool. I think as a, as a miniseries, if they had done something like... If they had done all of Frank's books, one through six, as six seasons, like Game of Thrones... Yeah, yeah. Would have been pretty cool. Okay, but let's talk about this because the book, just the book, is like 500 pages, and they actually only did half of it yep. in the mm -hmm. movie. Maybe um, a in the 2021 movie, in the 1984 movie, they tried to shove it all into that one. Oh yeah, and it, it got so rushed. And it, especially like the last half of it, like the first half wasn't as bad, but then the last half, like especially after. Um, the Harkonnens kick out Atreides from Arrakis and, you know, they take over and everything. Like, especially after that, it's just like, boom, 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 boom. Things are happening, 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 right. happening. Wait, what happened? What, what exactly is this? Yeah. Well, and to be fair, in the book, it felt that way too, reading it. I, yeah. I remember going chapter to chapter and being like, oh, wait, what just happened? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I definitely feel that, but I do feel that the movie, the 2021 one movie wasn't as rushed mm -hmm. and um, had a pretty good pacing for what we were looking at, for what we were given, um, especially with how it was narrated, how it was flowing. Um, the second time we saw it, though, too, I remember feeling like, oh, this is near, I don't remember anything happening after this scene, so I think this is the end of the movie. And then suddenly we were standing up and getting ready to go. Yeah. 
Well, one thing, one thing too, you don't get if you've only seen the '84 movie and not read the novel. I know you felt it was really rushed, honey, but I know, I think between, and something you haven't seen, obviously, if you've only seen the 21 movie, um, but in 84, when Paul gets accepted as a Fremen, and then he's a worm rider later, there's like, like two years before the end, when he, when he gets accepted by the Fremen, there's like a two-year gap mm-hmm. between then and when they actually finally go to attack Arakine and all that, um, there's like a two-year gap, um, I'm hoping they're gonna do that with the part two. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a part of me that kind of thinks that there might not be enough movie left for, there might not be enough book story left for two and a half hour film left. And I'm hoping, I am hoping as well as this was done, that they decide to make a part three also and do the next two novels. If they could finish off the first, they could finish off a part two here and it could be the rest of Dune and Dune Messiah. Uh, and then they could do part three, which could be Children of Doom, because it really makes the trilogy is, like, the best progression of characterization you could think of, where, you know, the first one is very classic hero's journey, and then two and three is, like, Frank's basically telling you, yeah, you should never have heroes. Yeah. <laughs> and I also, I feel like, so I was very worried about Timothy Chalamet as the um, casting for Paul, because... In the book, he does so much advancement in a very short period of time. So I was concerned they were going to do this, like, whole um, advancement of him, and he's just this scrawny white boy. Mm -hmm. Um, But them stopping it where they did, it gives him the opportunity to kind of, like, bulk up and fremenize and stuff and and become um, who he's going to become. Because by the end of the first book, he's a completely different person. His um, outlooks on things and everything. He's he's still like this scared little boy with Jessica right now. So the the things that are that have to happen mm-hmm. for the second movie are uh, phenomenal and life changing and very um, uh, momentous. So I'm like I'm excited for that because I was yeah. so concerned about this little white boy playing Paul and being able to to do it right, but as a character development he did a really lovely job mm-hmm. um with paul and going from you know being under uh, leto's wing to having to kind of like be the protector of his mom mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of like a really cool opportunity for him as an actor like i don't want him to get kind of like typecasted like um oh, the uh, tom holland i feel like he is only ever going to be <laughs> spider-man to me so I'm worried that Timothy Chalamet will only ever be Paul Atreides. So I'm like worried about that for him and his career because yeah. he's so young and I feel like he's pretty talented. But that wouldn't be a bad thing. It'd be better to be typecast as Paul Atreides than would be to fight him. Tom uh, Holland, I think he's probably got a little bit more depth than like a funny action hero. Yeah, well Tom Holland's so sweet. Yeah, oh, he is. Okay, so I also wanted to talk about the Gamjabar. 1984. And 2021 kind of handled those scenes the same way. The Mm -hmm. way that um, the Reverend Mother, uh, yes, the way that she introduced the Gamjabar and talked about the test and the way Jessica was freaking out in the hallway, it was all like they were different, but they were similar. So I was kind of like taken aback at how very like, uh, and and they're, those scenes are very uh, well constructed to the book as well. That's exactly how I pictured them. That is exactly how Frank Herbert described it happening. It's it's very exact. I was very impressed with how those were handled Same. 
um, across the the board for both of those. And there was something else that happened. Well, one thing I'll say about the Gamjabar scene, I thought it was really cool. And you're right, I, I agree that both both eighty four and twenty twenty one do them both very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I think it was I liked a little better in the twenty twenty one that was a little bit more intense. Wasn't just that Jessica's waiting outside the room and Paul's doing this thing, because uh, he I think Denis made it really really more intense because he would flash back and forth between Paul visualizing his hand being burned away and all this and then going back to Jessica recite, reciting the litany against fear mm-hmm. and back and forth where Jessica's freaking out and going back to Paul and fear and it, it kind of the back and forth of that and the quick cuts kind of made it more intense we're like oh my god something's going on this is fast and intense and you feel it a little heavier because you're, you're seeing both sides of them really quick you know Oh yeah, I definitely feel like that that tension was a lot uh, was ramped up a lot more in the twenty one version. I think I I appreciate that one just a little bit more because of that. Because again, just subtle storytelling where you know you you get this moment where you know obviously as a mother you're extremely concerned that you know you might possibly not see your son again you know he he might die in this and so you're trying to calm yourself and then you know he's obviously trying to concentrate on his test and just the flipping back and forth made it very effective for me and i actually thought on that note i thought jessica was like beautifully cast oh yeah rebecca ferguson did so well in that role because to be able to balance this highly trained and intelligent benny jesuit sister who's not a full reverend mother at this point in, in the lore but as a as a fully uh, as a mostly fully trained Benny Jesuit sister and a mother, it wasn't like she was in Benny Jesuit mode the entire way. Rebecca's like, ah, Paul's fine, whatever. And it wasn't like she was freaking out as like an emotional person either. It was she'd go back and forth between those, and I thought that was really cool and kind of gave her some depth. Like, this is realistic. You have training. You have all of this experience and training you can rely on. But you also are still at your core a human person with feelings and emotions and worries and desires and everything else. Mm-hmm. It's like where she'll she'll like catch herself like okay no, I know how to handle this. I'm I'm stronger than this. You know no fear and whatever. But then it's like oh crap, what's going on? You know and that was kind of yeah. cool to bounce back and forth. I think. Oh yeah. Little nods of of things throughout the whole movie too that I thought were like really artfully done. The relationship of uh leto and paul where we get little nods to to how their relationship is and the the guidance that leto has given and had also gotten from his father um that like each man is their own but also like influenced by the the ducal ring and um the kind of like obligations that that holds as well as um the relationship between leto and um uh, Jessica, I was worried that like I wasn't gonna that they were gonna like lean into it too much, or that um, I was only gonna get so much time with Oscar Isaac. I knew that was gonna happen, so mm-hmm. I, I like was ready for it. Um, but the compassion I had for him by the time he um, does leave us is is very like it was very important to me. Like I I wanted I. I like understood how important he was to Jessica and Paul. Yeah. Um, even in that short period of time that he was there, I I also enjoyed like the Atreides family, the 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 training of um, uh, Gurney and Duncan, and how like there was this like overlying um, 
acknowledge that they that everyone was trained really well because of them and like it's just kind of like hinted to a few times but um in the first book you don't really get very much information about that um i've been told that it happens later where you get to learn more that you um understand more about the um, mythology and the 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 way that the atreides were yeah, lived and all their all that like there's more that later but in the first book there's not really very much nodding to that at all so i was very like okay is this necessary or not and it turns out that if they are going to uh continue with this um the, the little nods are kind of paramount that they were like really well embedded so that they weren't too obnoxiously uh hey pay attention to this this is something you're going to need to know but just enough that you know that they were important but you're not sure why yet um I also uh, did did uh was it just me or did Paul and Jessica get sort of like more freckly the longer they were in the desert? They might have. I'm not sure I was paying attention. I don't know. Every time I the, the second time we watched it, I was like, I'm gonna pay attention this time, and I feel like they were more freckly or more dirty or something the yeah. longer they were out there but then I stopped paying attention and I forgot that that was something I was trying to look for <laughs> yeah I do want to go back just very, very briefly to um, the relationship between Jessica and Leto um like the differences in how it's portrayed in the 84 and the 21 version like I wish the 21 version was more like the 84 version in that respect because in the 84 like they're both kind of brief the moments that they get together but in the 84 version it feel you know their brief moment together feels very intimate and loving and so when jessica loses leto like you know it's you know you obviously feel that she has really lost him whereas in the 84 version like a lot of their interactions are dealing with paul or talking about paul or you know like even arguing about paul and like you don't get a whole lot of that intimate connection there's one scene that's like a few seconds long where he says one line and it just immediately cuts away and it's like no like i, I wanted a little bit more of that intimacy where we can really see their relationship blossom a little bit more um i was talking with my friend and she kind of like <laughs> she kind of like agreed with me like you know she would have liked to see more of that you know just intimacy but again i think you know, trying to pack this into one feature film, you know, you have to sacrifice certain things. And that was kind of one of them because, uh, you know, you sacrifice that intimacy, you get, you know, obviously if you're, if you write the books, then you know their relationship and you understand, you know, how they feel for each other and how they the do. But, you know, when you come into I this, when you know absolutely nothing about it, I was looking at their relationship. And I'm like, it seems very cool. Like, like, I don't sense all, like, they seem like an old married couple where there's, where that passion isn't really there anymore. And they're just together for the sake of being together. <laughs> like, like, because they don't. The married and without the cool, because they were neither of those things. Well, yeah, because, well, I, I actually didn't even realize they weren't well, married know, until. They definitely weren't old either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually didn't even realize that they weren't married until that line where he's like, I should have married you. And I'm like, oh, wait, they aren't married? Like, <laughs> like I, I didn't know that. And that's the thing. Like, we don't get that chance to really see relationships between characters as much. You know, we get to see some things. Like, obviously, Paul and Jessica's is probably the one that's like the most 
um, developed in, in the forefront, but there are other all kinds of relationships like between Paul and Duncan. You can really sense that there's a history there, but you don't get to see much of it. And then Duncan dies. And so it's like, okay, <laughs> like I, I know I'm supposed to be sad, but I just don't feel it because I don't, I didn't really get to see or experience that. And the same thing for me, at least with Leto and Jessica, where I didn't really get to see their relationship and get to see them interacting except when they're kind of like pseudo or kind of halfway arguing. And it's like, all right, well, <laughs> you know, obviously that's typical relationship stuff, but I'd like to see more than that, you know? But I don't you know. know. What's funny is that I guess the 84 movie ruined you because <laughs> um, honestly, that's how the, it was in the book. You don't, you don't get, you get brief interactions with characters. Mm-hmm. But certain characters Frank never got crazy in depth with until much later, where you'd get flashbacks or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, even like, reading reading all the novels, like you mm -hmm. don't really get a really good sense of. Um, honestly, I never really got a really good sense of Jessica and Leto um, until one of the prequel novels, and it kind of it, it was written beautifully enough that it made sense what you see in the Frank's original novels, like the mm -hmm. original Dune and all that. Um, but there. They're they're a weird couple. They're not the lovey dovey type. Like they really do love each other, but they're not the lovey dovey type. They're very much. They got together for practical, because you know, uh, noblemen could have consorts and wives and whatever. Oh yeah. Any Jesuit sisters, and it really was an arranged marriage through the sisterhood, I believe, with him. Um, so Jessica was kind of an arranged marriage, and they didn't need. They had never even met each other. But then they actually did end up falling in love, so it wasn't really like a love match to begin with, like, like us or somebody else. It was it was very much treated like an almost like a like an Indian style, um, like an arranged marriage or something like that. Oh yeah, no, and and I and I totally get that. It's just I I just didn't get any of that kind of even developed love from. Uh, again, I you get that one brief flash where like you know he leans back and she kind of like you know runs her runs her thumbs down his forehead like she's you know gonna give him a little massage and that's it it's just that it's like no 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 go, go, go back go back i, I want to see it i, I want to see more of that scene you know it, it feels like it would have been a nice little scene for their relationship and if it had just been expanded a little bit more i think it would have it would have really helped give a little bit more again of an emotional impact but you know that that's that's the price you pay sometimes when you try to just smush a storyline like that into a feature-length film. Okay, how about Jason Momoa? He, he was fine. Like, I, I I don't really have any strong feelings about him or the character, to be honest. Like, it, it, it was good. <laughs> in comparison to 1984? Uh, in comparison to 1984, like, he was a little bit more memorable, like, as, as far as, like, the character went, but... It, it wasn't enough for me. <laughs> Again, like, you know, when you don't get the time to really lean into these interactions and build up these relationships and make these characters more memorable, it's, eh, you know, it, it suffers for it. And, you know, he, he did a great job with the material he was given. I, I'm not, I, I, I'm sorry if it feels like I'm like throwing shade at him. I'm not. It just... You know, he, he's not really in a whole lot of the movie. He's really just in some some scenes here and there, and that's it, <laughs> you know? So we don't really get a whole lot of time with the character in general. So, eh. 
little improvement from yeah, 84, but... <laughs> I feel like a lot of these characters, though, have the opportunity then to come back in flashbacks and have the chance to, like, character build and world build um, in later uh, productions. If, you know, if if there is momentum, if there, if the ball gets rolling on all these things, mm-hmm. I feel like uh, we recently found out that uh, Dune 2 is going to come out, mm-hmm. and that was, like, after the first week... Um, or at least after the first couple of, of nights to like just make sure that it was going to do as well as they had hoped and it like it, it blew my mind that they had decided that quickly but also that they weren't even really 100% sure because I saw like an interview of Sunday and Timothy Chalamet and they were like so yeah we basically know we're supposed to keep these days open but no but we don't know either. But we don't really know either. And then uh, a couple of days later, it was announced that it, it was for sure. So it was kind of exciting to, like, be on that end of things. You know, like, to make something that you hope will stand alone um, if it needs to. But mm-hmm. the opportunity to uh, embed those little Easter eggs, to embed those little tidbits and storyline things. Um, the options to, to kind of embellish on them and make them bigger, but also to give a, a first-time viewer or a first-time um, worlder uh, <laughs> the opportunity to, like, get into it is, is kind of kind of what made me so excited about the movie because I, you know, now I'm, like, wanting to pick up the second book of a book that was written uh, 40, 50 years ago. Um, so it's just really, like, it's kind of cool to me to be in that position where I'm like, well... I've heard so many things about the stuff that's going to come up that all the questions that I have that are left unanswered, I'm going to be able to read them before the, the next movie comes out at this point. Yeah. So I better get cracking. Um, and a book hasn't done that for me since, you know, like uh, Harry Potter. So I'm, I'm excited because it's a, you know, there's five books ahead of me and um it, I will say that to anybody who decides that they want to read the first book, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little hard. It's a little difficult. Um, it's very like J.R.R. Tolkien and the Silmarillion reading. It's very, mm-hmm. it's not that bad, but it's hobbity, I suppose. Maybe it's more like <laughs> Hobbit. It's just very, it's very hard to to get um, around. The, the last two hundred or so pages go quickly. But it's the first few that are like, mm, yeah, I, I could I could put this book down right now and pick up something ugly and juicy. And I got through it. I'm glad I did. No, I and now I'm excited for the next one. But uh, there was a period of time there where I was a little worried I wasn't going to make it. Yeah. So and I, I, I totally will, understand that I because that caveat. Yeah, I totally understand that because like I, I'm, I was kind of similar with the Lord of the Rings books because I had tried to read them before I saw the movie and I just there was like a block like I I was having so much because I'm a very visual person so like you know I want to be able to visualize the world and without being able to do that it's just really difficult for me to get into something so after I saw the movies then I went back and read the books and it was much easier for me to do that because it's like okay now I have like even even though there are scenes and there are characters that aren't even touched on in the movies you know, I have something to draw from. And so, you know, I feel like Dune would probably be the same way. Whereas if I tried to read it before, I might struggle some. But now that I have this kind of, you know, reference in my mind to go to pull from, 
it would probably be a little bit easier. And I mean, the release date for Dune 2 isn't it well from what is announced it's supposed to be October 20th, 2023. So we we have some time. <laughs> we we have some time <laughs> to, you know, catch up on any reading we want to. We do need to talk about that real briefly though too because standardly or historically people tend to always be the kind of person who says oh, I always want to read the book before I see the movie because Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want the movie to influence my ideas of what the author wanted or or what the um, book was intending for those things to look like. But there are people, um, I'm, you know, like sitting next to one of them who prefers to watch the movie first. Um, Kind of like uh, the opposite of that, but also I, I do kind of understand it where you would want to or even kind of like be benefited by having seen the movie before reading the book because of that visualization that, um, uh, you know, to have another medium, like another artistic draw. Oh, yeah. I would say for me, it's it's not, uh, unlike Tegan, it's not a, a, nece- a necessity. Mm-hmm. You need a visual to kind of get what people are saying. Personally, if it, if, if it was a choice of what would you prefer to look at, what would you prefer to see or imagine, I would take the book and my own my own imagination over that every time, but the book is always better. So I watch the movie first, so I don't absolutely hate the movie. <laughs> and that's a totally and valid approach. With the 1984 Dune. <laughs> yeah. I hated the 84 Dune because it's so it's a fun 80s sci-fi movie. It's not Dune. Oh yeah, I totally Compared get that. The novel. I wrote the novel first, you know, and it ruins it every time because the book's always better. And I, I totally did get that feel from the '84 movie that it was, it it was it, it didn't have that unique feel that the '21 movie had. Whereas, you know, obviously I'm sure that they were limited in the sets and everything like that, where they probably were recycling or reusing sets and things like that. Although some of the practical um, visual effects were really cool to see, mm-hmm. um, like the spacemen or the spacers guild. Um, dude, that was that that was kind of cool. But like I, it, watching that, I very much got the sense of like Doctor Who, like especially classic Who, because you know just it's very boxy and it's 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 very metallic and it's there's not a whole lot of variety. Whereas in the twenty one movie, you can look at Kaladin, you can look at Giddy Prime, you can look at Arrakis. Mm-hmm. It's all very different and very unique. You can tell just from a glance okay this is this planet this is that planet like this is this like you can very much tell whereas in the 84 movie it's like a hell if i know (laughs) you know it one thing too just a quick little fun fact for you here the 84 movie i think personally suffers because it it had been in development for too long Mm-hmm. They had been basically trying to make the movie since 1972 or so. Oof. Um, and they had Jean Giraud, uh, a.k.a. Mobius, um, and H.R. Geiger, artist who designed the Alien from the Alien films. Yeah. Along with a number of people who were actually involved in the making of Dune. And it was literally in development hell for so long. You know, they changed three or four directors before they settled on... Um, I can't think of his name. It's, it wasn't actually... Um, Lynch. Lynch was a producer or something. Mm-hmm. Anyways, a bunch of people actually got frustrated with it and went on to make other movies. And mm-hmm. Total Recall from 92 was actually one of the movies where a lot of the production <laughs> from Dune said, screw it, we're going to go make this other movie. And that's what came out of it. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I definitely can feel that. Yeah. 
Well, and, actually, and that's one of the things too. You, you know, I would say like the soundtrack and all. Like we were talking earlier, um, the first the first teaser trailer for the 2021 Dune, Hans Zimmer had basically written this one this little bit of music um, that was part of it. At the end of the trailer, had a cover of Eclipse from Dark Side of the Moon from mm-hmm. Pink Floyd. Um, and that was kind of a nod to one of the original iterations of the 70s era Dune, where Pink Floyd was actually going to do the soundtrack. Oh, so Hans nice. So kind of threw in a nice little nod to the movie that never got made, actually. Uh, that oh, was nice. kind of a neat little bit. Oh, nice, yeah. And I will have to say, like, extremely random tangent, but Brad Dourif, bless his soul, mm-hmm. this man either has no eyebrows or all the eyebrows. There is no in-between. <laughs> And in the 84 Dune, he has all the eyebrows. Quite a few characters have all the eyebrows. I'm like, what is going on with this? What is going on with this design where they're slapping these eyebrow wigs on these people? Yeah, Piter Piter in 84 was definitely a funkier character. (laughs) So, so, (laughs) so neurotic and odd, but Mm -hmm. very fitting for Brad Dourif. It it definitely Mm -hmm. feels like a Brad Dourif character. And that was one of the things that I actually did enjoy about watching the 84 movie is like, because I, I don't look at cast because a lot of the times I don't recognize names anyway. So it's like, mm, it's whatever. I'm just going to watch the movie. I'm going to enjoy it. But then all of a sudden, oh, there's Captain Picard. Oh, there's Grima Wormtuck. Oh, there's Sting. Like, what is going on in this movie? Yeah. Like, and hey, by the way, there's <laughs> Al from Quantum Leap. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, hold <laughs> Yes. Oh, my gosh. I yeah, that that just just happened. It's ah, uh, it that was the entertaining thing about going back and watching this is seeing all of these like really big names just randomly pop on screen. It's like oh oh, I do know you, and I know you, and I know you. Like that that kind of hey, honestly Dad. added to the entertainment value for me. Dean Stockwell just died, so rest in peace to him as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, Lindsay, you said you had something about the sandworms you wanted to bring up? Oh, oh my gosh, you guys, we were coming up on an hour here, (laughs) Um, but I liked the sandworms, I was uh, brilliantly, like, scared, Um, and uh, actually, I'll make Jason tell the story, because um, there's something about the way that they made it so that the actors were um, actually uh, sinking into the sand when the um, worm approached, that was really cool. Uh, yeah, I was reading some behind-the-scenes stuff, and I bought the art book because I'm a huge nerd, and when I get into it, I do it all the way. <laughs> um, but there was the way they did it; they actually filmed out in the desert in Jordan for a lot of the desert scenes, um, and they actually tried to get the actors sinking and the look of the sandworm going through the desert. And the way they describe it in the book is very—I don't want to say ambiguous, but I have a very strong imagination, and I didn't really get a really strong visual in my head of what. The sandworm looking it looked like i was imagining not like a shark fin but something sticking up like just enough you know or you'd see a movement mm-hmm. or whatever and they had done a little bit of like the science side of the research of it and they basically i think uh denis villeneuve actually talked to some like a science uh, physicist basically said is this possible and whatever and they basically said that if something was that big physically massive um, and it vibrated in a certain way that the vibration of the sand would actually cause it to sink the way you see it. So, like, that actually, Ooh. if there was a, theoretically a worm in the desert on Earth here that big that could travel under the sand, that's actually what it would legitimately look like because the vibrations would cause that sand to sink like a sinkhole. 
and what they did for those scenes when the actors were actually in the desert and supposed to be sinking into the sandworm's maw they actually rigged up um like two or three or four feet above or uh sorry below the they they buried vibration machines that would that would vibrate the sand in the same way Ooh, they okay. actually had it. So when you see that, that's not special. Well, it is special effects, but it's not CGI. The actors were literally actually sinking into a four-foot little pit of sand in the desert. Oh, that's really cool. Although I will, that's I do really have to cool. say, <laughs> I do have to say, like, uh, number one, like, I definitely prefer the 21 version over the 84 version where because you don't oh, yeah. get to see as much of the sandworms and therefore that kind of it makes it this masked terror you know the suspense of not revealing this whole thing makes it more important at least to me um but i will say i saw it and i'm like sir that is a grab boyd (laughs) i I have watched too many b movies (laughs) that is a grab boyd right there just a gigantic overgrown grab boyd um (laughs) i'm sorry like i've watched too many trimmers movies to not draw that reference, but um, was first. I know, I know, I know. But I saw Tremors first, so I mean that is just right in my mind. And so, like, I saw it, like you know, with the puffs of sand coming out. I'm like, yep, that that, yeah. Like, it, it's kind of odd and almost vindicating that Grab Boyd even got something right. Like the the Tremors mm-hmm. movies actually got something right. So I mean, that's yeah. cool too. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I I. I I really appreciated how they kind of didn't reveal so much of it at first. And really, really the only yeah. thing you really see of it is its maw when it opens up. So it's kind of like a combination of a graboid and a sarlacc, <laughs> kind of almost. <Yeah. laughs> so, it, it, you know, it's just this terror that you see its giant maw and you see it coming, but then you don't really see anything else. And then the first time you actually see it come out is when um, Paul and Jessica are out in the desert and it actually comes out to them. And then that's that's the first time you actually get to see like the head portion of it and it's like it it makes that moment much more momentous to me at least where you you know you keep it kind of in the shadows and then do this reveal it again like leaning into filmmaking as an art form rather than just you know telling a story (laughs) you know yeah so we've been recording for about an hour now and last uh thoughts final words I would just say if you haven't seen it and you like movies and any sort of movie you find palatable, I would say go see it. Oh, yeah. I was really excited. Um, I'm excited for the next one. I'm excited to read the second book. I um, Yeah. Uh, just... I'm marrying a nerd girl. I'm the luckiest dude. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, if you're like me and you're just, you know, you're not sure and you're, you know, kind of intimidated by this whole big world that's already been set up for decades now, it's okay. You you can watch the 21 version. You don't need any prior information to that. It's totally fine to right. start there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so um, uh, tell us what you think. Tell us what you want us to talk about next. Um, if you saw it, let us know what you thought. If you didn't and we changed your mind to go see it, then tell us about that too. Um, let us know if you hated it. Let us know if you don't like listening to us and all of that other good stuff. Um, that would even be fun to know because, hey, if you got through the whole episode and you didn't like listening to it, what are you doing here? Um <laughs> 
But also, thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay. Jason. Hello. <laughs> and I'm Tegan, and thanks for getting nerdy with us today on Beauties and Headcanons.